What's up, everybody? This is Stick to Football Bleacher Report's NFL Draft Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Miller, joined, as always, by my buddy, Connor Rogers. And I want to know, are you sunburnt or hungover coming off of Memorial Day weekend or both? Man, you could definitely be both. I'm actually in the phase where the, the sunburn is starting to turn to a nice tan. The hangover is not going away, though. And I, I don't know if I'm just getting older or if I just didn't know my limits. But I'm slow this week, buddy. How are you feeling? Um, so good. And we'll jump into this a little <laughs> bit because we don't, you know, it's a slow time of year. So we are going to do some football stuff. We're going to give you our sophomore players we think can have big years, big jumps. We're going to get our buddy Booger McFarland on uh, to talk about going to Monday Night Football. We're going to do some draft on draft, but we just kind of wanted to kick back a little bit and talk about the weekends because it was a holiday. And it's kind of like the national like drinking holiday other than St. Patty's Day. So and that's this podcast. So we're going to talk about it. I went to Dallas for something called the margarita meltdown. So it's, it's like 40 different restaurants and they all make their best margarita and you get to vote on whose is the best one. And so, uh, my girlfriend and I went down, we went out Saturday night, stayed out till like 2 AM, get up, do the margarita meltdown thing, uh, drive home. It was five and a half hours. And then last night, you, ba- the Bachelorette started. You know I got to watch that with my friends. Of so course. we start drinking then too. So I'm on like a, a five-day run right now of just drinking every night. And like I'm I'm bloated. I'm dehydrated. Like I just – I need a break tonight. <laughs> yeah, we might uh, might have to do this draft-on-draft old-school style and <laughs> pop some tops, right? Who cares what time it is? Yeah, right. I-, I like how the name of it, Margarita Meltdown, like you literally melted in Dallas, yes. I would imagine, with how hot it was. Yeah, man. I mean, I got down the shore uh, down in Manasquan, New Jersey, uh, you know, went kayaking with my dad on Friday. It was a nice chill day. And then Saturday, you know, when my boys from home came down, all hell broke loose. So you, you're starting at like 9 a.m. I, uh, I dude, I used our trick. I had a coffee after oh. dinner at like 6 p.m., made it back out to one of my favorite bars like it's. For the first time in my life, Matt, at a non-football media event, I got recognized by oh, people. Good for I was, you, man. I, I, yeah, it was kind of hilarious. I was walking through the Osprey down the shore with my buddies, and these two guys just start doing the J-E-T-S chant <laughs> right to me, going crazy. They were super They were super cool, though. It was a lot of fun. Uh, my night somehow ended up with me, uh, you know, walking, running home in the rain with my buddies, and two lovely ladies in a Jeep picked us up and gave us a ride home. So well, you can't it was a that. successful... It was a very successful Memorial Day weekend, and uh, now we're going to talk a little about some guys that are hoping for a successful year number two in the NFL. Sophomore jumps. This is something we always like to do every year. You know, even before the podcast, something always Matt always talked about on Bleacher Report. Players that we think, hey, might have not had the most exciting rookie season, could have had a good one, but now you're saying they're going to make a really, really big time leap. And, and you know, some people might have forgot about them. They might have fell under the radar, whether it was due to injury or not playing. But these guys are ready to make an impact this year. And we have to start with the quarterbacks, Matt. Yeah. And like you said, man, it's not that these guys had bad first years. It's just that we are looking for a big jump from them. Kind of like last year, we said it was Jared Goff. We were waiting for that big jump from him. He made that move. That's right. And became one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL last season, hopefully now in his third year, he can continue that. But my quarterback, it's Mitch Trubisky had uh, a little bit of an up and down rookie season. I think you can point to, he came in you know, late. There wasn't a great team around him. There wasn't a scheme around him. So he didn't have a lot of the benefits that maybe some of the other rookie quarterbacks might've had, but I'm excited to see what he can do 
with Matt Nagy, with Alan Hearn, or excuse me, with Alan Robinson, with all the talent they've added at receiver, uh, and then just what they're going to be able to do schematically with Nagy and Mark Helfrich going to more of a spread style. I think we're going to see Trubisky's accuracy, which was so good coming out of North Carolina, his athleticism, which is a, an underrated aspect to his game. Uh, and, and unfortunately, North Carolina didn't really feature it. The Bears definitely didn't last year, but I think he could be poised for a very, very good sophomore season. Yeah, I'm with you there. They went out and they got him the right coach. They got him the right weapons, and it's just going to be a lot of fun to watch with him. And we saw a lot of flashes last year of a very good player. You know, the athleticism, the arm to really make some very impressive throws on the move. So I'm excited to watch Trubisky this year. Uh, My sophomore jump at quarterback is a guy that was excellent when he played, but the problem was he really got hurt after five games. That's Deshaun Watson. If Deshaun Watson can stay healthy this year, He's going to be a superstar, a top 10, maybe top eight quarterback. But the biggest question with him will always be staying upright. So coming back from the, you know, yet another knee injury, but a guy in that Texans offense where you're throwing a new Hopkins, you have Fuller down the field, you have weapons to work with. Watson has the arm, the mobility and and the leadership to really lead this team. And I'm not saying they're ready to compete with Jacksonville yet. But they might have one of the best, if not the best, young quarterback in the AFC, assuming he could stay healthy in year number two. Man, yeah, and I'm excited because he played six games last year through 19 touchdowns. I mean, that shit's crazy. Um, and and he just looked so ahead of, of the game. And so with any rookie quarterback ever, you always wonder about year two, are they going to take a step up or a step back? And I think with Watson, one of the things will be, okay, defenses now have six games of tape. What can they figure out? about his game, that scheme, how can they defend him? And then on the other side of it's okay, well, he's had a year now uh, to, to process things and I, getting hurt may have helped him with the mental side, being able to, to, you know, learn that side of it more because he's not being asked to play every week. So it's like, is he going to be this great guy who we saw for six games and it's just going to take over the league or coming off the injury? Is it going to be a little different? Will defenses catch up to him? There are a lot of things to try to figure out with Deshaun Watson and that offense. But also, man, if that Texans defense can stay healthy, if J.J. Watt can stay healthy mostly, then they could be they definitely could challenge in the AFC South. So I am excited to see him. And I'll go right to running backs because another player the Texans are very much counting on and showed glimpses is Deontay Foreman, who unfortunately, like Watson, got hurt last year. But we were seeing him play really good football. I mean, he had taken the starting job from uh, Lamar Miller and really looked like he was going to become like the dude there with like, you know, a a power back at 233 pounds uh, who was able to break away on some longer runs, uh, was even contributing a little bit out of the backfield, but got hurt, unfortunately. So I think we do need to see what he can do in a full time role. But I like him a lot. I mean, obviously, I'm a Texas homer, so I, I like the guy a lot. But coming back from that uh, torn Achilles, they're saying he's going to be ready for camp is the hope. So if he's healthy, I can't wait to see what he can do. Yeah, and another guy that could take the reins, you know, this guy for me is, is Aaron Jones on the Green Bay Packers. When you look at Jones, a perfect outside zone kind of runner, I really like the tandem they got late on, you know, on day three of the 2017 draft with him and Jamal Williams. Jones is a guy I think that can finally bring, you know, solidify that starting running back spot in Green Bay. They obviously have talent at wide receiver. They have the best quarterback in the world. They loaded up on improving that secondary. So Green Bay, I thought, did a really nice job of getting better this offseason. They used free agency to their advantage finally, and they really capitalized on value in the draft. 
and, and falling under the radar of all those things is how good of a running back tandem they might have with Jones and Williams. And Jones is the guy I think that flashed the most last year and the guy I'm most excited to see really make that jump in Green Bay this year. Yeah, you're right, man. They just threw draft picks to their running back position, you know, getting Jamal Williams as well and just yeah, saying, hey, we're just going to get a running hit, back. Take him. Yeah. And, uh, and Aaron Jones did look very good. All right. At receiver, uh, it's funny. We both listed two of our guys that we loved pre-draft yep. in that 2017 <laughs> class. Mine, Cooper Cup. Who, Nothing changes. It, Cooper's going to have to have a bigger role because Sammy Watkins is gone. I know Rams fans. I know he didn't do a ton, but. He's still a decoy out there. And now Cooper Cup has to be, I think, more consistent. Um, there were times where there were drops from him that were like mind-numbing, right? But he still caught 62 balls last year, five touchdowns. I think we're going to see that role only increase this year as he maybe becomes the number two receiver out there. Uh, he and Robert Woods are going to be asked to do a lot as that offense continues to develop. And as he you know, continues to develop, I, I think someone that I loved as a route runner and thought he had really, really strong hands coming out of college, but... Well, we we saw some times where he looked like a rookie and he has to play better this year. But I think they are all very excited about what he can be. Obviously, Brandon Cooks is going to stretch the shit out of the field. So he should have plenty of room to operate underneath. Yeah, It's funny because Cup was actually one of the rare receivers in this class that did have an impact as a rookie. We saw so many guys not really do a lot because of injury that were drafted ahead of him. Mike Williams, you know, Corey yeah. Davis, the list really goes on here. And Cup was a guy that did come in and make an impact, but like you alluded to, Matt, this is his chance for the door to be wide open to even have a bigger impact to maybe become a 1,000-yard wide receiver, maybe catch 80 passes. He had a really good chemistry off the top with Jared Goff. Obviously, Sean McVay has been a big fan of this guy forever. If you watch you know, All or Nothing from two years ago, him at the Combine watching Cup, he, he liked Cooper Cup off the bat, fit him in his offense right away, so he, he's a guy that, as, although he was productive, can actually has a chance to make a big jump now. A guy that did nothing as a rookie that I really liked was Carlos Henderson. And, and that's someone where I'm not going to sit here and tell you that I think he has the biggest <laughs> sophomore jump because they went out and they drafted Cortland Sutton. They got Deshaun Hamilton. They already have Demarius Thomas, Emmanuel Sanders. So really, this is a put up or shut up right away for Carlos Henderson, who had the arrest for possession of marijuana, who lost the season to injury. The wheels kind of fell off the bus for what I thought was a very, very talented player. And I still think he is a very talented player. Now he needs to kick in the ass to say, listen, you might be sitting fifth or sixth on the depth chart. And you there's also some reports that you might actually have your roster spot in jeopardy right now. This is really it. You have to go out and prove your worth. And I think Henderson is talented enough and he's got enough dog in him that he will. So I'm looking forward, you know, to seeing what he can do because he has to be productive right away going into year number two. And I think the same could be said for the guy you're about to talk about, uh, you know, on, in a very similar situation <laughs> at tight end. It's funny when we don't see each other's list until we start doing the show and they just flow together yep. because it's like boom, boom, boom. You're talking about Carlos Henderson. Jake Butt is the guy that I think has to take a big step this year. He was hurt last year. They drafted Troy Fumagalli yeah, in the fifth round this year. So there's a little competition. Jeff Hireman's still there, whom they drafted in the third round in 2015 that we haven't seen. Uh, I haven't seen a lot from yet, but there are some guys with potential. And coming out, we all knew who Jake Butt was. He's not this flashy athlete. He's kind of like year 15 Jason Witten. He's just going to get open and catch everything, but don't be prepared to be blown away by his athleticism. But now the reason that I want to see Jake, but not only because it'll be our first exposure to him in the NFL, but you have a quarterback in case Keenum who 
isn't known for his arm strength, isn't known for being able to stretch the field. You need those targets in the middle. You need guys who can be safety valves. They don't have, in my opinion, a, a go-to running back who's going to be that guy that's his check down. I think it has to be Jake Butt and his ability to get open through physical routes, to shed linebackers, to just body up safeties. If he can be what we saw in Michigan, he can be a starter tight end and can be that guy that is the go-to for Case Keenum. Yeah, and I think it speaks volumes when a team takes a guy that they know they have to really give a redshirt year in the NFL due to injury. That's an investment that is a long-term investment that you hope the dividends pay off down the stretch. So I do think the Broncos value Jake, but, but like you said, Matt, he's been off the field for a while. This is a team that there is opportunity at the tight end spot, but while there's opportunity, there's also, uh, you know, a lot of mouths that want to be fed right now. So it's Mm -hmm. not going to be easy. And, and, you know, you hope that he steps up. Uh, My guy here is David Joku. He was my number one tight end in the class last year. I liked him a little bit better than OJ Howard because I thought the upside was through the roof. I think in Cleveland right now, it's hard to believe David Joku is only 21 years old still. And he had a season where, you know, a little over 30 catches, almost 400 yards, four touchdowns. So the flashes were there on a team that did not win a football game on a team that never really had any consistency at the quarterback position or from the coaching spot running the offense. So I think as Baker Mayfield finds his place there, Tyrod Taylor, who he'll use the tight end a lot. And I think Tyrod Taylor has a very good chance to hold on to that starting job as the season comes out of the gate. I expect really big things from David Njoku this year. And rookie tight ends, you know, historically are never very productive. So you you look at, right, you look at 32 catches, almost 400 yards and four touchdowns, over 12 yards per catch. That's actually a really good season for a rookie tight end. So if he can double that this year, he's already going to find himself being a top five tight end in all of football. And I think he easily has that potential. And you're so smart to point out that like with Tyrod Taylor or Baker Mayfield, they're going to want him because Baker they love loved their Mark ends. Andrews, man. Those seam routes, I think that was Baker's best throw. It was vertical seam routes. Yep. And Njoku can be a hell of a mismatch on those types of routes. All right, like I said, we keep doing this unintentionally, uh, just going from team to team. My top defensive <laughs> well, lineman to, that I want to see, and this guy, it's not like he's a sleeper, but I want to see Miles Garrett fully healthy. I want to see him with another year of understanding about how to work how to set up, how to combo off these guys. We saw flashes last year. He had seven sacks as a rookie. We saw flashes and he did that. He played 11 games. Then he started nine. If he can play 16 games, I expect 12 sacks from him. He's just that good. Easily. And what they have, a, the defense they're going to run, the players uh, like Larry Ogunjobi, Emmanuel Ogba, guys who are coming up around him to help take some of the pressure off. This team could be, low-key, very, very good on defense, but that all starts with Miles Garrett. If he can get his motor going, if he can stay healthy, I mean, uh, 12 sacks might be a low bar for him if he can be on the field as much as we hope he can be. Yeah, that front seven is unbelievable, and it makes you wonder. Now, Denzel Ward, it works both ways because everyone's sitting here saying, well, what if they took Bradley Chubb? But on the flip side, Denzel Ward might give those guys more time to get up uphill and get more sacks because they finally have corners and defensive backs that, you know, have lockdown potential. So it's weird to say, man, but the Browns defense is, is a lot of fun. There's a lot of excitement there. I think heading into this year for the first time in a while. And 
You know, looking at another defense that they lost some pieces this offseason, but they do have two really good young ones coming back. We did this again. I can't believe it. I'm looking on the defensive line at Charles Harris in Miami. I think Charles Harris could be a sack master. I think the pass rush potential is there. I think it was flashed at times last year. I think, you know, you look at this Miami team now, he's going to have the opportunity to play full time. He only had two sacks last year in a limited role, but once again, the flashes are there. He was a first round pick for a reason. And I think he's going to be a lot of fun to watch. And I think really, yes, this Miami team is going to have their ups and downs this year, but at least get those young guys get in there and play. And I know you want to talk about another one of these young guys as we move on to the linebackers. Yeah, man. Raekwon McMillan, again, <laughs> going team by team here. The Miami Dolphins need Complete both these accident. guys to step up. <laughs> yeah. And Raekwon has to, I mean, <coughs> excuse me, all the pieces, on this defense, you know, you look at, at the way that they've been transitioning. No more Dominican Sue. Uh, I still feel like they're a little bit, you know, old at defensive end, even with bringing in Robert Quinn. They need these young linebackers to be dudes. Jerome Baker, they draft in the third round. Raekwon needs to lock down that Mike spot with Kiko playing on the will. And if he can be what we saw at Ohio State, I actually loved him at Ohio State. And it was weird if I remember right that a lot of the like the, the Twitter Analysts didn't really care for this guy because oh, he wasn't fast enough, doesn't not agile enough. But his instincts and strength are so good, and makes putting, plays. Putting him in the middle of a four three is where he belongs, and I love his strength there, his ability to stack and shed. But again, a guy we didn't get to see last year because of injury. So hopefully we'll get that breakout year from him. Yeah, I picked him on our show last year over summer. I picked him as my defensive rookie that year right. candidate. And then he got hurt, and that was heartbreaking because I thought he had a really good chance because this guy is a tackling machine. Now a player at linebacker that is a little different is Hassan Reddick, somebody I want to see. He had 36 tackles last year, two and a half sacks. This is the kind of player he is. Now, 23 years old, so you know, still young obviously, but it, it's just a little bit of a disappointing season because you would have liked to see more out of him, of course, but you look at what he can do. He can run and cover. He can come down and put his hand in the dirt on the third and long he really can go stop the outside and inside run game. This is an Arizona defense that, and this isn't the last time I'm going to talk about them on this show, that there's a lot of young potential there. And this is one of the catalysts of it all. If Hassan Reddick makes the sophomore jump next year, listen, I think the Cardinals, and I hate to say this, I'm not, you know, I think they're going to have a tough year. I think the offense is really going to struggle. I think David Johnson's the type of player that can carry an offense, but I just I worry about the offensive line a little bit, but one way that they can completely prove me wrong and be like, you're an idiot for saying they're probably picking in the top five or 10 next year is if these young pieces on defense come together very quickly. And Hassan Reddick, to me, is the main one. Yeah, and I love I just want to see, man, what he can do, because we talked about him as just this triple threat coming out of Temple, you know, pass rusher, linebacker who's great in coverage and they need him. Uh, they, they really do. I mean, I, I think he and Buda Baker, who I almost mentioned as my safety are, are two guys that as that defense changes to what they're going to do with Steve Wilkes as Tyron Matthews gone as Pat Pete gets older, these guys need to become the face of that defense. All right, let's go to corner. And I, this was my number one. Well, I tied for number one corner in the 2017 draft and not because of injury, but he just couldn't seem to get on the field last year. And then when he did, I thought he Weird. made good plays. That's Quincy Wilson of the Indianapolis Colts, and they need him to become a number one type corner this year. They really do. And for his draft position as an early second rounder, I think we all expected a little bit more from him. And hopefully this new coaching staff will be dedicated to getting him on the field 
letting him make plays because when you look at that defensive backfield, man, it's him and Malik Hooker need to be the dudes here. And hopefully we can eventually see TJ Green take that next step as a strong safety. But there's going to be a lot of pressure on Quincy Wilson. And he needs to he needs to step up because, again, some of these guys we've talked about weren't on the field because of injury as rookies. With Quincy, it was coach's decision a lot. And there were a lot of weeks where he was just straight up inactive. Maybe that was a Chuck Pagano thing. Now it's time. He's got to get out there. He only, I mean, he started five games last year, played in seven. He's got to be better than that. So if it was on him, he's got some growing up to do. If it was on the coaching staff, we'll find out real quick because there's a new regime in there and they need someone like him. I mean, a, a big corner who can lock guys up in man coverage. That's perfect for Matt Everfluss. So if, if Quincy's right, he should be their number one corner. Without a doubt. It was one of the more strange rookie storylines last year when Quincy Wilson wasn't on the field for a Colts secondary that desperately needed some help at the cornerback position. So I look at Wilson as a guy where make right with the new staff because you have the talent to be, you know, that number two lockdown kind of guy going into this year. So go earn it. And I think he actually will. My guy is Sidney Jones, who I thought actually was the best corner before he got hurt working out. I believe it was his pro day yeah. working out. Um, I thought he was the best corner in that class. And I liked Marshawn Lattimore. I liked Quincy Wilson. I liked Tease Tabor. There was a lot of corners in that class that had talent. But before the injury, nobody was more. Fl- I really thought Sidney Jones was what Denzel Ward ended up being this year. You know, obviously top five pick, little undersized. Excellent fluid movement, you know, match and mirror kind of guy that can make a play on the ball, even though he's a little undersized. Sidney Jones is back, and this Eagles team, I think, has expectations for him. Obviously, you know, Super Bowl winning team that has their starting corners, Ronald Darby, Jalen Mills. I think Razul Douglas is going to get in the mix, obviously, this year. They did draft Avanti Maddox, another guy that'll play the slot. But I think Sidney Jones is the starting slot corner here. I mean, he has to be. He has number one corner kind of talent. And now he's healthy, and I know he played a little last year, but now he's really almost a fresh new addition for a team that just won the Super Bowl. So I can't be excited enough to see what he can do in that defense this year because he can actually make them better. Yeah, I'm with you, man. I'm very excited to see what he can do in a, a full year of healthy. And like you said, hurt last year. We I think he played in the Super Bowl and had like two tackles. And so it's like, the promise that he had though, is just his technique was so good coming out of college. So now getting to see him, whether it is in the slot or just as a matchup on the outside, will be a lot of fun. All right. Wrapping this up with our safeties. I went Josh Jones because I knew who you were going to pick and I didn't want to take it from you. Yep. So I think the green Bay Packers defense (laughs) is going to go through this huge change, right? And I mean, for maybe the first time in a long time, it seems like they're being aggressive and, and the guys they add, they're trying to play maybe an amped up style of defense. You bring in Mo Wilkerson, uh, through the draft, you had Oren Burks and Josh Jackson and Jair Alexander. Josh Jones, a strong safety, needs to come in and be the dude who sets the tempo, lays the wood, and is just that physical, badass, strong safety. And he can be that guy. I loved him coming out of college. Uh, he's 220 pounds, 6'1", ran a 4'4", flat, and the guy can do yeah, freakish stuff. Right. But now we just need to see the instincts. Just speed it up, and he's going to have a spotlight put on him this year. Uh, but in that scheme, I think he can be a difference maker. So uh, I'm projecting him to have a big year in his second year, but also just very excited to see who can, he can become. He's a tackling machine and they got some corners now in that defense. And listen, 
you know, when Aaron Rodgers is putting up points left and right, that's a defense that's going to be on the football field. They're going to be back on because the Packers can score so quickly. So he's an important piece. And I, I kind of cheated here. I went with two. Uh, I'll start with the one, you know, I talked about earlier, Buda Baker, Another key piece for this Cardinals defense. I love Buda. Honey Badger out. Buda Baker probably going to play starting reps there. Another guy, undersized, but a playmaker all around. He can stop the run. He can help out in coverage. He can really be an interception machine. But the main guy I want to talk about here is Marcus May on the New York Jets. Everybody knows about Jamal Adams and how good Jamal Adams can be, the type of leader he can be. Marcus May was just as good last year. And I think what Jermaine Johnson added to that defense is a number one corner. Mo Claiborne is back and slides down to the number two corner spot. Jamal Adams is a player that's going to line up everywhere. Marcus May is going to see the football come his way for interception opportunities. And I think May is a guy that can make the jump and be a five interception kind of player right off the top next year. So there are some really exciting players in the secondary heading into year two across the NFL next year. Love both those guys. Can't wait to see what they do. Buda Baker, by the way, Pro Bowler. People forget that. He made Pro Bowler. That's right. You're right. Player. Yeah. So absolute stud. Uh, love both those guys, man. And I'm excited. It, it's funny. Like we're sitting here. It's 100 days before the season as we're recording this. And I can't wait. Like we're to that point where I just can't wait to see what these guys can do. All right, everybody. Welcome back. And like we told you at the top, I'm very happy to be sitting down with one of my oldest friends in this business. It feels like our buddy Booger McFarland, who's Mr. Monday Night Football now, dude. Congratulations. Really appreciate it, man. How you been? Good. Busy. You know, kind of like you. I mean, it it never stops with this job, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that is the big news, right? You're you're making the jump to Monday Night Football after doing Saturdays uh, on the desk with, with my guy, Mac Brown. How different is that job going to be for you doing sidelines now, covering the pro game where you've been doing so much college? Uh, are you kind of wrapping your head around that adjustment still? Yeah, I'm kind of still doing that. You know, for me, I, I've been a football analyst. And so to make the jump from college going to the NFL, it's going to be a big jump because the stage is going to be bigger. But as you know, uh, it's still football, you know, and there are a lot of the elements in the college game that are now coming to the pros. So uh, I'm very fortunate and also humble, man, because, you know, when I got into this game four years ago, as far as broadcasting, I never thought in a million years I'd be doing Monday night football, but to get the opportunity to kind of uh, break in an all new position at ESPN uh, is trying as far as the, the field analyst role. I, I couldn't be more excited. Uh, it, it's a new task. It's going to take a lot of work, but I need a new challenge, man. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah. And you've had uh, a lot of time there with, uh, like I said, Mac Brown and I have, he doesn't know, but we have a feud. It's kind of like this weird thing where <laughs> growing up a Texas fan, it's like, uh, you know, the end for Mac was, was kind of rough at Texas and, but he's such a great guy. Everyone loves him. What are some of because we have a lot of college football fans who listen. What was it like uh, working with Mac and what are some of your favorite stories with him? You know, Mac's phenomenal. And for me, uh, I was very hesitant in leaving the SEC network just because broke my uh, broke my teeth in down there and I got very comfortable. And then when the opportunity to come to ABC came about, it was like, yeah, I don't know. But the first day on the job, man, when I met Mac Brown, he welcomed me on, welcomed me in with open arms and you know, our best times and our most fun times were off the air uh, because Mac is a great storyteller. Like Mac can tell some stories and tell some things behind the scenes. Uh, he, he told a story Williams that really gave me a whole new perspective. And so uh, I even only worked with Mac one year. He was a tremendous friend. And it's funny because I saw him in the airport the other day and he walked up to him and just hugged me. 
Uh, he and his wife, Sally, both. And it was just a, an incredible year spent with him. And he's a phenomenal guy. And I think he's a better person than he was a coach. And that said a lot. I always thought that like an AD role would be best for him or like a, you know, like a, just a head of the football team, you know, not the coach, but where he could recruit and raise money and, and be kind of that image of the program. Is that something that you think he ever had any interest in doing? No, I don't think so because he's a football coach and, you know, having had some pretty intimate conversations with him, they all revolve around coaching. They never uh, evolve around anything uh, AD ish or president type role. He's a football coach. And I, I do know that, um, that's always going to be in his blood. And I think if there were ever an, an opportunity and it had to be the right opportunity, I'm not breaking any news here, but I, <laughs> I do think, um, I do think once a coach, always a coach and, and, and he's going to be a coach forever, whether he gets another job or not. All right, man, let's talk about you. Um, I, I've, I told some friends over the weekend, I was like, yeah, I can't wait for Tuesday. We're going to sit down with Booker McFarland. And they're like, who? So where did the nickname <laughs> cover? Cause like people who don't follow football, they hear, I'm going to talk to Booger and they're like, who the hell are you talking about? So you got to let the people who don't know, know where did this nickname come from? So I grew up in the country in Louisiana, everybody in the country, uh, in most towns has a nickname. My sister, her nickname is treetop because she's tall. My brother, his nickname is catfish. I don't know why his friends gave him that (laughs) nickname. Uh, but I've had the name Booger since I was two years old. I was a bad kid. And my mother called me a lot of things. Um, Booger was just the one that stuck, no pun intended. And so my sister is six years older than me. And so she heard the nickname Booger. And the older I got, the more she would tease me with it. And it just kind of kept on and on. And, you know, when I got to school, the the PA announcer in the stadium would announce me making tackles as Booger. So I had to make a decision whether or not to keep it or fight it. And so I kind of let it go at that point. And I get to Baton Rouge and um, the, the, uh, the, the PA announcer comes on in Tiger Stadium and says, Booger McFarlane on the tackle. And I just looked up at the press box like, man, how did he figure that out? <laughs> and at that point, I, I decided I would never fight it again and just embrace it. And now, if someone calls me Anthony instead of Booger, I usually don't answer. And so that's kind of how I distinguish between friends and people that I don't know. Yeah, you mentioned, man, you played at LSU, um, and that's been such an amazing pipeline to the NFL what is your theory on, though, why they've never been able to, I mean, overcome the Alabamas or now we see Georgia coming up or even just find a damn quarterback? Why can't LSU figure that out? Well, I think it has a lot to do with recruiting, and I think it has something to do with perception and reality. And here's what I mean. Uh, quarterbacks usually don't grow on trees in Louisiana. It's one of those positions that is not as plentiful as others, but there have been some there. Peyton Manning, the name of few, and then LSU just missed out. And then I think the perception started to uh, kind of take shape that LSU wasn't a place that could coach or recruit quarterbacks. And so even when there was a guy uh, that was in the area, like a Shea Patterson, he would go elsewhere. And so when you look at recruiting, you look at the perception under Les Miles because he was a guy that was going to run it and run it and run it some more, then I think the quarterbacks will start to stay away. Uh, I do know that LSU – uh, has needed a quarterback for years. And I think had they had a quarterback in the last 10 years that was consistent, not just like a flash in the pan like Jamarcus Russell, but somebody that came there and they could play consistent for two or three years, they would have won more. Look what they did with Matt Flynn. Look what they did with Matt Mark. Those are two pedestrian quarterbacks. But with those two quarterbacks, they were able to win and win big. And so 
you're right. It's an issue. It's a problem. And Coach O has to figure out a way to get it cleaned up. If not, he's going to be uh, not too long for a job. Yeah, yeah. And it is. It's That's a question we get asked ourselves as analysts all the time is, man, why can't LSU ever put this together? You, you The talent they've had at receiver, running back, offensive lines, great defenses. And it, it just seems that, that that quarterback spot is the one that always falls short. Uh, speaking of quarterbacks, you played for John Gruden for a good amount of your career, right? What, five years, six years with under Gruden? Yeah, it was. I think it was. I think it was four or five. I don't think it was six. It was four or five. Yeah. So, how do you think he's going to do coming back? I mean, you like you said, you're an analyst. You're you've been doing pretty much the same job as him. Uh, he's been out for such a long time. Now he's coming back to Oakland. And I know you're recovering the NFL, so you might want to save some of your hot takes. But just your gut instinct, how's he going to do? Well, I think the biggest key for John is going to be how he adjusts to this young league. This league is no longer a league that's built on veteran players is built on young guys that are 22 to 28 uh that like instagram twitter snapchat all these different things and for a coach who wants you to uh ingest football 24 7 he's got to get used to that he's got to get used to the guy who in the locker room is you know using his instagram stories to talk about how he gets ready for practice instead of staring at his playbook and i think that'll be the biggest adjustment john gruden knows football he knows football better than just about any coach that i've ever been around However, he's got to, to adjust to the relationship part of how do you how do I cultivate a relationship with the Derek Carr? How do I get these young guys to buy in and believe in me? Because, yeah, I won a Super Bowl in Tampa. But most of these guys were uh, teenagers when that happened. So how do I get them to believe that I can still get it done? To me, that's his biggest challenge. I think he'll do fine, but it's going to be a challenge. Yeah, that's and that's kind of my take on this whole thing is the dude knows football and he's been around it still, but it's. You know, how is he going to relate to a 23 year old rookie who's, you know, a, a completely different person or, or, you know, mentality than when the last time he was in the league was? Do you have any good Gruden stories that I mean, he, everything I've always heard is he was just a complete psycho. So and you went from Gruden to Dungy, which is a, a, a pretty crazy transition from like this mild mannered, you know, super calm guy from Gruden, who's like scowling at everybody. You know, the best John Gruden story that I could think of was he got to Tampa um, and he came in our defensive meeting room. And you got to realize we had five Hall of Famers in there, you know, with Sal Brooks, uh, Lynch, Rondé, Simeon Rice, I think should be a Hall of Famer. And the first thing he tells us, hey, guys, not good enough. We're like, what? Like, we, <laughs> we've been dominating this league for a long time. And he says, not good enough. And he says, you guys walk around here and complain about the offense, not scoring enough points. How about you go score some touchdowns? How about you go score on defense? And literally, it like he really ticked off everybody in the room because who's this guy who, you know, people voted one of the 50 most people, uh, pretty people in America. He's coming in there challenging our defense, and we've been dominating this league for a long time. Well, you know what? He was right. In the year we won the Super Bowl, we scored nine touchdowns on defense. And his ability to come in there and, and challenge us really, I think, provoked greatness out of us even more than we had. And so... Uh, John was a, was a tremendous offensive mind. He's also a great motivator. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I, I'm excited to, you know, because I was, I was fairly young when he got out. I, I hadn't even really started in this business. So I'm, I'm excited to get to spend some time around him and, and see exactly what he's like. If the, the stories are all true or how he's changed over the years, but those are the football questions. Now we like to have fun. We always ask the same five questions to all our guests. It's called the gauntlet. 
So it's kind of a first thing that comes to your mind, rapid fire type question. But first one is a little bit deeper, man. It's what's your favorite sports memory uh, from, from like a, it could be a game you played in or, you know, like growing up watching someone play, but what's that, that one thing that really stands out to you? Uh, man, I, I grew up a big Miami hurricane fan. So when I watched Miami and Warren South play Nebraska, uh, for me watching him dominate that game, uh, was really a treat because it turned me on. I wanted to go to Miami. Okay. But I couldn't because Miami didn't offer me a scholarship, but I, I remember watching that game, seeing how Sap dominated that game. It, it really is something that really made me want to play defensive tackle. Cause I played, uh, Offensive line and DT, I, I went both ways. But seeing him dominate the game right like that really made me uh, choose the position that I had, which is defensive tackle. That's awesome. That's a great one, man. Uh, that's that's great. All right, number two. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Uh, X-ray vision. I, I would love to be able to see inside walls and see inside people's homes. Not because I'm nosy, <laughs> but just because I'm curious. <laughs> yeah, no, that's going to be great for your new gig, your, your satellite reporter exactly. gig. You can see inside exactly. the the little tent, you know, that they pop up anytime a guy gets hurt, you'd be like, Hey, we know know what it is. That's a good one. All right. Number three, what's the one game none of your friends can beat you at? And this can even go back to like when you were in college, but like mine is cornhole. Like of, of all my friends, no one could beat me. Do you have one? Oh man. Usually it was wrestling because I was bigger than everybody else. Yeah, that's and you're you're not the tallest guy, you know. I mean, but, six foot tall, man. That's yeah, it. that leverage is great. That's unbeatable when you're wrestling somebody. <laughs> All right, number four, uh, you're stranded on a deserted island, and you can have one person there with you. Who is it? Wow, deserted island. Yeah. Um, the like the correct thing to say is 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 your wife, but I mean she knows that. I'm gonna say Tiger Woods, so we can golf every day. <laughs> That's a great, no one has ever said that, man. That's fantastic. All right. Uh, and the last one, if you could be any athlete in any sport all time, who would it be? Wow. Uh, I'd say Jim Brown, just because of what he meant to the sport of football. And during that time, um, he was a great player. He was a great activist. Uh, he turned out to be a pretty good actor. Like what he did, you know, what he meant to American sports to me is, is one of the great feats that doesn't get talked about enough. Yeah. Yeah. That's especially like I, we've had other people say, you know, players like, like Billie Jean King for tennis and what she meant for, for just, you know, girls coming up wanting to be athletes. And I, Jim Brown is one where I, I bet a lot of younger people know that name, but maybe don't know uh, just everything that he did for the sport of football. So that's a, a great answer, man. All right, dude, thanks for your time. We're all wishing you the best of luck when you get on Monday night football. Uh, and can't wait to see what you and Witten are able to do together, man. Appreciate it, man. Thanks, buddy. Yep. Have a good one, dude. And a big thanks to Booger McFarlane for joining us this week. We, uh, we're on a little ESPN run here. Yeah. I'm at, we had Carrie champion a week ago. Now Booger, uh, they have so many good personalities and hosts over there. So it's always good to catch up with a, a lot of them, but now we have to catch up with a lot of you. It is time for draft on draft. As always, you guys have been sending in great stuff. Please continue to do that through the Instagram. Go follow the Instagram at stick to football, follow the Twitter at stick to football, follow us on everything and just find different ways to reach us. We've been trying to get every question we can now that it's summer. It's a little slower. We have more time. So let's take it away. This guy sent me, sent me a message for this Instagram question, which I liked a lot. Wyatt charter wants to know, do you guys see shutdown potential in Gary on Conley? Wyatt in the message alluded to that the game he played, he was a shutdown corner 
Now, is there reason to be excited, you know, going into this year where hopefully the injuries will finally be behind? Man, I think so. Um, I liked him so much coming out of Ohio State and thought that his just athleticism and technique, everything put together would have made him a a true shutdown corner. Now, we didn't get to see it. Like you said, I mean, he had a a hell of a lot going on. And I, I think that sometimes we have to step back and be like, here's a kid that was about to be drafted, got accused of sexual assault, had to go through that. Then got hurt, had to go through that. And then he, I think he actually, uh, right after or right before the draft this year, filed a civil suit against the accuser. And it's like he has so much going on off the field that you kind of hope he can eventually just settle down, worry about what's happening now on the field. Only played in two games last year, so we didn't get to really see a whole lot of who he can be. But I, I think if healthy, he could definitely be a true shutdown guy. Yeah, I agree. I mean, there was once again, this is something we talked about during the sophomore jump episode. You picked Quincy Wilson, I picked Sidney Jones. There was a lot of talent in that 2017 corner class, and this was one of the guys. And he had a weird, really weird draft process towards the end where, you know, it was a fuzzy story. And then the injuries during the rookie year where there was, he was saying one thing and another thing was being reported. So, Get him on the field, put the rookie year behind him, the talent's there. The Raiders need the help in the secondary, and this is one of the key pieces to get that instant help. So, Garan Conley, he's one of the guys to watch. I mean, no doubt. We didn't get to talk about him during our sophomore jumps, but he's one of the important players to keep an eye on this year. This next one from Andrew Harbaugh. What were the biggest obstacles you found yourselves facing early on in your careers? That's a good spin on, you know, the breaking in one biggest obstacles I could personally for me, once I got a job at Bleacher Report as a research assistant, as I always tell you guys about four years ago. Now, my biggest obstacle was um, I didn't have the money to move to the city. So I was living at home at the time. My parents are down the shore now. This was at the time when they were in upstate New York. So I used to commute door to door a little over five hours a day, five days a week. That was the toughest part for me, not having the money to make the move and needing to save. And, and I mean, can you imagine when you lose five hours plus to a commute? You, you really don't sleep anymore because you're working long days, too. So that was per, the personally the, uh, the, uh, the hardest one for me. Yeah, that, that's a pretty fucking tough one, too. Um, I, I think for mine, it's, it's shitty. More, <laughs> I'll go more kind of the, the focus of the job. The hardest part for me was gaining credibility. Uh, because when when BR hired me, oh, um, yeah. uh, I started at BR in uh, November of 2010. So this is early, early BR, right? Where we're really still establishing ourselves as a, a destination for credible analysis. And here I come out of nowhere, right? And they they really I mean, handed me a great platform and a, a pedestal to say, here, give people your opinions. And so that was the hardest part, especially, you know, that 2011 draft of, okay, this is my first year ever as a go-to draft guy. And that was a, that was a pretty big draft. And so, you know, with the, the Cam Newtons and, and all the quarterbacks in that class, like you, there was some pressure to, gosh, you can't miss, which is unrealistic. Right. So I think that was the hardest part for me. And it, it took years. And I don't, I, I think that Bleacher Report, just, I mean, that's, it's a kick-ass company to work for. And the way that the credibility there rose, you know, with guys like Dave Finocchio really shaping the, the vision for the company saying, this is who we're going to be. This is where we're going to go. That in turn 
afforded me more credibility. And then I, I think some of it is just like, you know, people see that, you know, now you got seven years of a track record. People can kind of see that you maybe can pretend to know what you're talking about a little bit. So, but I think, man, just credibility in this, this job is really hard. And I think it's that way for anyone now, because, you know, it, in some ways it's good. In some ways it's bad. We're a pretty skeptical society. So somebody comes along and you are just expected to respect their opinion. And a lot of people don't really go with that. Yeah. You were honestly a new face in what was considered an old space. It was, Hey, we've gone to Mel Kuyper yeah. and Todd McShay and Mike Mayock. And, and I mean, it, the list goes on of who people have gone for their draft opinions or just overall NFL opinions. And now you were one of the, the new guys that did this 365 days a year. It was all NFL draft. And you were also doing NFL and college football coverage, but you were always doing the draft. So that was clearly a big obstacle. And it's something that we, we actually don't talk about a lot on this show. It's funny, though. It's hard to believe, right, Matt, that it was only seven years ago. It, for you, it probably feels a little <laughs> it feels longer like an than eternity. That. Yeah, but only seven yeah, years. Yeah, two decades. <laughs> so, I mean, it's it's crazy. I'm curious to see what the next seven years bring. It, uh, it's a lot of fun. So, all right, this one from Patrick Chamberlain. This is a really great question. What's the most underrated football movie of all time? How about most underrated sports movie of all time? Oh, man, I think the most underrated football movie of all time is the program. And I know Sims hates it. Somebody tweeted me about it saying that like he hates the movie. I absolutely love it and uh, will always love it. There's no change in my opinion on that. So that's my most underrated football movie. I would say most underrated sports movie of all time is Moneyball. Ooh, that's um, a good one. I thought Moneyball was was absolutely fantastic and really just never gets talked about. So I don't know if it's because it was baseball or if it was that people weren't overly interested in the story of that A's team, but I, I thought that was one of the greatest sports movies I've ever seen. The acting, uh, the story itself, the way it was it was told, it has a great cast. You Moneyball was absolutely uh, I hadn't seen Bull Durham in forever. And I was saying how, like, man, it might be overrated. And Mello was like, no, 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 no. Go watch it again now that you're an adult. Like, it's an amazing movie. I think it's actually underrated because it is kind of an older movie now. But if you haven't seen it or if you haven't seen it in a long time, definitely watch that one again. See, I haven't seen it in a really long time, which makes me – you're right. It completely changes your perspective when you're an adult and go back and watch movies like that. So It's a great one. uh, We'll have to add that one. Our buddy Charlie Z – are there front offices or owners that legitimately discourage players from signing with them in free agency, whether that be from incompetence, he says, like the Browns, or politics like the Texans, for example? So, yes, there are definitely front offices where players don't want to go there. And I think Cleveland is the most obvious one. Um, uh, we've Without talked doubt. about it before where, um, I mean, hell, when Tony Jefferson was a free agent, he made it be known that the Browns offered him the most money and he signed with the Ravens because he wanted to win. So there are definitely teams that, you know, like the 49ers a year ago weren't a free agent destination, even though they had a shitload of money this year, they were because they have Jimmy Garoppolo and they have Kyle Shanahan and things change quickly. Like the Rams now are look and Dominican Sue wants to go play for the Rams because of what they've done and the coach they have. So it definitely can swing quickly, but there are definitely, I think front offices. And now that, and I you know, went on this rant on the Friday show, but we're not going to be political here. But to answer your question, yes, I think there are now owners who are becoming 
aligned with either side of it, whether that's Bob McNair on one side or Jeffrey Lurie on the other or Jed York. And there might be players who factor that into the decision-making process without a doubt. I completely agree. I think it also comes down to this that people don't realize agents who are really guiding where their players are going. Let's not forget that. While the player, of course, has the final say in where he goes, the agent is the one as their, you know, their chauffeur, their navigator, talking to the teams, finding the best yep. offers, but more importantly, finding the best fit. Because this is something that people don't think about in the NFL. An agent can send a player to a team that's offering, quote-unquote, the most money. Or a team can send an, uh, an agent can send the player to a team that's offering a little less money, but might be a way better fit, and that player will see maybe three years out of that four-year deal instead of one or two years out of that more money deal, if you know what I'm saying. So that's why fit truly does matter, because you look at it like this. Uh, this is kind of a different example, because I don't think he was that bad, but Jonathan Hankins signed a pretty juicy deal with the Colts and was cut after one year. So that's an example of saying, okay, well, clearly the fit, you know, they changed the scheme. There's a lot of different changes going on there. But it does matter where you go because you want to see your client see through the entire deal because that's more money in your pocket and more more money in your client's pocket. So it's a very, very big deal to answer the question. It matters a yeah, whole lot. it really does. That's, that is a great question, too. I love doing those kind of like behind-the-scenes things, you know, that we don't always get a chance to talk about because it, it definitely factors in. All right, Brandon Finn wants to know, is the shift from traditional base defenses to nickel being the de facto base D affecting the scouting process? If so, how? I think it is because guys who would have been a tweener before have a role now. You know, um, Mark Barron's a great example of someone coming out of Alabama as a safety. Everyone thinks like, oh, this is ideal strong safety, right? Then the game changes and you realize, ah, that dude really can't run with the receivers and tight ends that we have now. So what do you do? You move him down into the box and now he plays outside linebacker. So I, I think that's a way that the scouting process has changed where before you might have scratched guys or you know, bump them down because they don't have a true position. Now, I mean, we have guys like Jarrell Peppers going in the first round, even though they don't have a natural position because you say, ah, those play nickel and we're going to make this work and there's still value there. I also think the narrative around the nickel corner has changed where it used to be like, hey, what do you think of this guy? And you go, eh, I think he can only play in the slot to now oh, I think he'd be really good in the slot for us because that matters so much when you look at these wide receivers that eat from the slot, where a slot corner is not some throwaway number three or four corner, but really a starting piece, a gigantic piece of the puzzle to a great defense. Yeah, that's a, that's another great question. Uh, okay, so we got two from Antha Oreo this week. The reason I gave uh, we're going to do both is because I think I know your answer to the first one. <laughs> And it's not going to be an answer. His first one is with all the rumors of a potential divorce between Brady and Belichick. What does the future look like for the Patriots after Brady? Will they lose relevancy? quickly? <laughs> right. Um, right. So I, I mean, I don't yep. want to give away too much, but that's actually something that I'm, I'm spending a lot of time on right now and will be spending more time on in the coming weeks. So I'm going to have a, an in-depth answer for you very soon on that. And I don't want to, I don't want to spoil it just yet, but we're working on it. 
Yeah, Matt's on a little United States right. tour right now. I'm not going to give away any locations, but... Uh, and racking up the frequent so, flyer miles, trying to get an answer to that question for you. Yeah, there's going to be a long-form, I think, answer to that question down the line. So his second question was, this is a fun one, what player is better in Madden than Michael real life? Vick. <laughs> That's Michael always... Vick's the best answer for that, right? Was it 2004, that, Michael Vick? It's true. It was just unstoppable. Legendary. Yeah. Legendary, like 99 arm strength and like 92 speed. And I'll be honest, and it's I haven't just like played Madden in a really long time, so I I don't Same. know anymore. Um, so the last time I played Madden consistently was in college, and this was like freshman year of college. This was not, so that would be 2010 and 2011. And the guy that is the perfect example was always like Darius Hayward Bay because you could throw him a bubble screen or if you got him isolated on the outside one-on-one, he was fast yeah. enough to beat everyone. Darius Hayward Bay is not good. But in Madden, when you're like a 98 speed, you're going to be effective. So it's always the speed, guys, all yeah, the time. Yeah, I wonder who, like, I wonder how good Tyreek Hill is. Seems like he would just be unstoppable. Unstoppable, probably. Yeah, but, yeah, I just haven't played. So maybe, I, maybe I'll do that. Hopefully Al- Alvin Kamara should be the guy Ooh. that should be unstoppable now, although he's excellent in real life, too, so yeah. I don't even... That's a we'll good see. question. Maybe this is the year I get. I say this every year. I say I'm going to get back into Madden this year. And then yeah, my Xbox so. broke because we'll apparently you have to turn those things off. I just left mine running all the time, and so I've been without one. Oh, so for it's like cooked six months now. So maybe yeah. wants to. Well, I'll give you a reason to get. Anybody back wants on. to hook me up with yeah. one? <laughs> Send yeah, you one. I'll, I'll DM you yeah. my address. <laughs> Send Madden Xbox. <laughs> all right, oh, last man. question. All right, yeah, this last question. Uh, all right, cool. From Richard Royal, another one of our loyal listeners. Uh, all right, so he's talking about Demarius. Demarius Randall to Cleveland should be a boost for Jabril Peppers. Opportunity to move closer to the line of scrimmage. Which other players will get a boost from the arrival of a defensive teammate this Ooh, that year? That is a great question, man. Um, I, I This is super obvious, right? But Indomitian Sue and Aaron Donald together, Aaron oh Donald's going to get a boost, which is terrifying uh, as long as he's in camp, right? <laughs> so as long as he's there, he should get one hell of a boost. Pay him. I talked about one earlier in the show. I think Tremaine Johnson is going to help Marcus May yeah. a lot because, I mean, he's a number one corner in a press scheme that tailors around his strengths. So this should lead to more, you know, honestly, errant throws for Marcus May to gobble up. I think that would be one that'll be really interesting. Um, I mean, you look across like the board. Richard Sherman's going to help. We talked about it. Yeah. Kowalski Tart is going to help. Yes. Hello Witherspoon. Um, those are, that's a pretty big one, uh, as well as someone who's going to help. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think of other, uh, other big signings, not, not just rookies because rookies are like, it's so fleeting. You just never know if those guys are actually going to, uh, you know, make big contributions, but I like those a lot. I think Derwin James is going to make like, I don't know where people are going to throw when they play the chargers because you got Derwin, Casey Hayward, Jason Verrett, Desmond King. That team could be sneaky good. But it's the same song and dance with them every year. Can they stay healthy? And it already started. It already started with Hunter Henry out for the year. Yeah, they're doctor. But I I, on oh on paper though, it's a great team. So it's like, what are we gonna what are we gonna get this year? Because I like the roster, but they just gotta stay healthy. I hope they do. I want to see them be a fun one because you would hope that gives Julio more one on ones. Uh, But again, there's like a weird contract in there. Yeah. 
So yeah, that yeah, I mean it's there's there's a lot across the board. That's a good really question is. though. I mean a lot of good yeah. questions this week. We've had a lot of good questions all summer, so early summer. Yeah, but. it's been fun. All right, man. That's our show for this week. Thanks to our buddy Booger McFarland. Wishing him nothing but luck uh, with the move to Monday Night Football. Definitely going to miss him on Saturdays um, because everyone knows I have a grudge against Mac Brown and Booger made that watchable. So uh, I'm gonna <laughs> definitely going to miss that and, and can't wait to see uh, how that goes for the ABC ESPN crew on Saturdays. But definitely uh, you know, throw him a follow on Twitter and, and wish him some luck as he moves into this new role. So it's a lot of fun, buddy. I love that over the summer, we can just be a little more relaxed. There's not that urgency of, hey, we got to talk about 40 guys and break down 12 games and try no. to do it in an hour. No, not at all. And also, I think, um, you know, we got to talk about our Memorial Day weekends a little bit. I think me and you are going to get back on the Instagram live train pretty soon, too. I know it's been a thing forever, but me and Matt just realized we could do the split screen version so both of us can get on there. We're a little yeah. slow. Don't mind us, but... We'll get on and do that. Everyone's asking for koozies, man. It's every day I wake up, there's I know, a new koozie. Which request. means I need to put in a new order because we're actually running pretty low. So, um, but yep. continue to listen because there could be good news coming on the, the gear front very soon. Um, and oh, yes, good news in general on the stick football front coming soon, we hope. So, uh, thank you guys. You're all awesome. Seriously, thank you for all the questions. Um, I put out a tweet this morning for questions, got like 30 of them. So, it, we definitely appreciate that you guys interact so much with the show because. I mean, the show would, would we would be like the Houston Rockets shooting threes without you guys. There would there would be nothing there. <laughs> so that's the only basketball oh reference I'll ever make on this show. But uh, but it was perfect. Yeah, that was something. So all right, thank you guys. We'll talk to you all real soon.